0: He's the reason why we got started on our way. He's the reason why we've donned these doors. He's the reason why we gather. Apart from Jesus, there would be no hope. Apart from Jesus, we're just an organization that show up just to look at one another. But because of Jesus Christ, who was and is and is to come, because of him, There is hope, there is joy, there is peace. There is meaning for your life and for my life. And that's to bring glory into his name. This day, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise for his, his grace and his mercy. From everlasting to everlasting. Amen. Amen. Well, indeed, Forest Baptist Church, it is a privilege and honor to be with you once again. I just want to say to each and every one of you, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I'm grateful that the Lord has brought uh, each one of us, each one of you, into this brand new year. Now, folks can say a whole lot about you, but they can't say you didn't make it to 2018. They can talk about you, but the Lord allowed you to make it one more year uh, to serve his purposes. Amen. And in this new year, just a reminder for everyone this week, we will be starting back up our community groups. Uh, if you didn't already know, uh, each week we gather in homes throughout the city uh, to reflect upon the sermon from Sunday, to encourage one another, to challenge one another, uh, but to fellowship with one another, and also as a uh, means and opportunity for you to invite your family, friends, and loved ones who would who would not come to church normally. Uh, you can invite them into a safe environment at, in someone's home, so I want to encourage you if you are not already a part of a community group, uh, to get engaged, to get signed up. And we'll have, there um, matter of fact, there's information for you right now in, in the bulletin as far as locations and times. Uh, we have groups meeting on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays uh, each and every week. And again, it is a, it's a great time to be in fellowship with one another. Also in your bulletins, you will notice that uh, there is information for ESL training, We have the privilege of hosting an English as a Second Language um, group here. Uh, That takes place on Tuesdays as well. If you are interested in in being a part of that or helping out in some way, there's a training that is coming up. uh, Let us know if you want to be a part of that. We will help you uh, with some registration costs. Uh, Then also, lastly, at the end of today's service, those who we reached out to to meet on behalf of the Children's Ministry, if you would please uh, meet myself and others in the fellowship hall as we discuss the children's ministry going into 2018. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for your patience. Um, as we do enter into a new year, one of the questions I can ask after this first week is how are you doing with those resolutions? Uh, after a couple of days, sometimes we see that resolutions don't make it too far. But I just want to encourage you, if you don't have your resolution together, that you would put together uh, at least a set of goals for the year. And I will always encourage setting goals over resolutions. Resolutions have the sense of, I, I got to stop this right now and, and, and get started on something else. It, it can be intimidating sometimes. But if you have some goals, that give you some uh, some runway to be able to get up and get to that goal. And then I found, too, if you, if you set goals, that they're... More likely to last. A resolution, we can do it for a month. Uh, but when we set, have some genuine goals, they're able to uh, go a long way. Uh, and and three of the goals that we have here at Forest Baptist Church is part of the mission of who we are. We want to evangelize the lost. Uh, that's the goal of ours to make sure that uh, people who have not heard the name of Jesus will hear the gospel, the good news, and prayerfully come to uh, salvation through Jesus Christ. But then we also want to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We want to be a teaching and preaching church where we're governed by God's word and we sit up under the word of God. And however the the word of God leads us, that is the way we will go. And where Jesus says left, we will go left. And when he says right, we will go right. Uh, But we need to be a people who understand God's word and know God's word. Uh, If you don't have God's word deep in your heart, I don't know what you're holding on to these days. These are perilous times. There's so much uncertainty. There's so much unrest. And if you do not have a good theology, if you don't have a solid understanding of who God is and why he's created you, then it can be, you can be easily lost in the fray. Uh, but then lastly, we want to edify all. We want to be a, a means of encouragement, a means of strengthening for those who are facing the various challenges of life, for those who are on the margins, those who are oppressed. We want to be those who, who run towards the fire to help those in desperate need, uh, to care for souls, and to do the hard work of ministry. So we want to uh, evangelize, to equip, and edify. Those are our goals as a family, as a church family. Uh, But this morning, the goal is to look at this text of scripture and pray that the Lord will engage our hearts and minds and give us a, a new and deeper understanding of who he is. So if you would, please turn with me in your copy of the scriptures to Psalm, the first chapter. And again, if you... Do not have a copy of God's word. We have uh, some Bibles in the back. It is our gift to you. uh, To take with you. Not not just because you want a new Bible. But if you need a Bible. We are more than happy to give you one. Uh, Again those are in the back. So if you would. Turn with me to Psalm 1. We will be looking at this familiar. Very familiar. One of my favorite Psalms. One of the first Psalms that I memorized. I encourage you to memorize this. Uh. And as we do, may we pray that the Lord will give us new eyes to see things that we have never noticed before. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. Psalm 1, verse 1 reads, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in the season and his leaf does not wither. And in all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like shafts that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous; for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Lord, and a blessing to the reading of His Word. You may be seated. So this morning, as we enter into 2018, my prayer is that we would just be a people found living under the influence, living under the influence. If I could just speak with you this morning about living under the influence. Please pray with me as we go before our great and marvelous God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would be the center of our joy, that you would be the center of this church, and that you would glorify yourself through the songs of praises and through the preached word. Father, have mercy upon us, for we are sinners. We are easily distracted by life in the cares of this world. but Father, I ask that you would supernaturally cut through the rust that we have built up this week and that you would open up and soften our hearts that we may receive your word with joy and gladness. Father, whatever issues of life may be on our back right now, in the name of Jesus, help us to cast our cares upon you because you and you alone are faithful, oh God. Father, we do thank you for being supreme, for ruling, for reigning, for bringing us into 2018. For apart from you, we will be lost, dead in our trespasses and sin. No way of rescuing ourselves, but you saw fit to send Jesus Christ. And for that, Lord, we just say thank you this morning. Thank you for allowing us to be in our right minds and in decent health this morning. Father, thank you for bringing us to worship one more time. You, You didn't owe us anything, but you saw fit by your grace and by your mercy to allow us to be in the land of the living one more day. And Father, because of that, may we not take for granted the breath that we breathe, but may every breath that we breathe be unto your glory and to your praise this day. And Father, as we open up your word, may you speak to our hearts. May you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. May you crush sin and crush our pride. And we will realize how much we need you right now. Father, may you give me conviction of heart, clarity of speech. Hide me behind your cross. Use my foolish words for your glory. These things we ask. In Jesus' precious holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC uh, has a statistic that says that in the United States, each day, 28 people die in alcohol impaired crashes. 28 people each day die in crashes involving alcohol. That is one person every 51 minutes is involved in a crash with someone who is driving under the influence of alcohol. That costs the nation over 44 billion dollars annually in taking care of these wrecks, these crashes. Just to take care of them, not not even documenting documenting the months and years of doctor bills and rehabilitation that comes from the fact that people are driving while impaired. Driving under the influence of alcohol, it it hinders your motor skills and your ability to respond quickly when you need to respond. And uh, driving under the influence, it has uh, a a debilitating effect on your mind. It it controls your, your arms. You're not able to function as you normally would when you're not under the influence of alcohol. And dare I say... Uh, another growing danger that we find every single day is driving under the influence of cell phones. I'm just, just I'm just, I'm just talking here. Uh, just as lethal in its distracting abilities, you are under the influence, and when you are under the influence of alcohol and and various. Drugs, you 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 are not able to function well. It's like they take over your body, causing you to fail and falter where you normally would not. But dare I say, beloved, even though there are uh, 28 people dying each day from drug-related crashes, millions are dying every day because of lives under the influence of sin. Millions are headed to their eternal peril because their entire life is influenced by sin and sinfulness. Their entire lives is influenced by those, uh, those around them, their own desires, their own wants, their own deeds. Life under the influence of sin causes wrecks each and every day. Life under the influence of sin has wrecked some of our own lives, and someone, else, someone else's sin has, has, has crossed over the metaphorical highway of life and ran into ours, destroying much of what we have in store. But, beloved, I'm here today to beg you, to plead with you, that you would turn from a life under the influence of sin and turn to have a life under the influence of God. For well, a life under the influence of God brings dramatic transformation. A life under the influence of God uh, is, a, is a life that breathes more life, is a life that is a giving life, is a life that has order where there is chaos. And beloved, when we look at the psalm before us this morning, the, the writer is simply laying out for us that there is two ways that we can live. We can either live a godly life and live, or we can live an ungodly life and die. We can either live under the influence of God and reap all the benefits of living under the influence of God, or we can live under the influence of sin and reap the punishment, the chaos, and the drama that sin brings. I don't know about you, but sin brings a little bit of drama in your life. This psalm talks about the godly and the ungodly. The context for this psalm is, Psalm 1 is the, Is the opening act to the entire Psalter. This psalm is is, is placed here as a beacon of hope for those who will read that they would find wisdom in the word of God. This psalm here was written to help us to understand that there are not uh, many different categories of spirituality. We like to think that there's, there's, there's one way to God and, and, and then you got your way and I got my way. But what the psalmist is saying is that there's no uh, a third way to God. There's only those who follow Christ and those who follow themselves. There's only the godly and the ungodly. And the psalmist opens up his stanza by speaking this phrase that we see throughout the psalms, blessed is the man blessed is the man happy is the man one commentator puts it like this blessed the joyful spiritual condition of those who are right with god and the pleasure and satisfaction that is derived from that you hear that to be blessed means you know you are right with god And because you're right with God, you are living in the favor and the abundance and the joy that comes from knowing that you're right with God. When we're living under the influence of God, we are blessed. But when we are living under the influence of sin, we will perish. There's no middle ground. There's no in-between that we can kind of stake out for ourselves. But the psalmist is clear. You are either part of the godly or the ungodly. That's a hard word, but that's a Bible word that God wants us to understand that we can't choose to live for ourselves under our own influences and expect to grow in godliness. If you have a goal this year for 2018, it ought to be, I just want to be faithful and to grow in godliness. That's what I want to do. This psalm gives us guidance in growing in godliness, but the psalm also functions as a sober warning for each of us. And for those who are not trusting in God. Look with me here in, in, in verses 1 through 3, it, this psalm is separated between the godly in verses 1 through 3 and the ungodly in verses 4 through 6. So let us look at verses 1 through 3, and what I want us to look at is how godliness is only achieved by those living under the influence of God. Godliness is only achieved by those living under the influence of God. What I like about Verses 1 through 3, it's like a mathematical equation, really. And I I love how it's set up because verse 1 plus verse 2 equals verse 3. Like literally and metaphorically, uh, if you take verse 1 and verse 2, you will get verse 3. And the first thing that we need to do in order to pursue godliness, to pursue holiness, to live under the influence of God, the first thing we need to do in verse 1, it says right here, the godly must avoid sin. If you want to be godly, avoid sin. Look, he says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. What he's laying out is the uh, how you relate to the world and those around you. Are you a willing participant uh, and everything that's taking place or have you set yourself aside as God has set, your, set you aside and you are no longer partaking in sin? What, what the psalmist is doing, he's laying out for us in, in these three uh, stanzas, what it looks like to avoid sin and how sin progresses in our lives. Notice the progression. The first sentence, he says, walks, counsel and the wicked. What he's saying there is for the godly person, they don't listen to the the counsel or the advice of those who are sinful. So if we were to to begin to paint an illustration of what he's talking about, imagine yourself heading to the mall. And as you get to the mall, all you men, that every single store is Victoria's Secret. Ain't, ain't, Ain't no other type of stores. Every single store. And what the way sin functions is as you are walking through the mall those window dressings begin to call out for you. You're like, "Uh-oh." Or or uh, we could think about going to the mall and imagine if every single store was a shoe store. Some of y'all are like, "Oh lord, that's my struggle right there." If every single store. So what he's saying is as you are as you are going through life don't be caught up by the window dressing. Don't begin to listen what, what, what they say. Don't begin to, to heed the word, the world's wisdom because when you begin to heed the world's wisdom, then you begin your downfall into sin. He lays out the, the, the walks, counsel, and wicked, but then he, he goes next. See this progression. He says, stands. Way and sinners. So at one point you were walking, and now you don't stop. You was walking past the store at first, like I'm a, I'm not gonna look, I'm not gonna look. And all of a sudden you find yourself, you done halted, and you trying to figure out, man, that looks pretty nice in there. Man, I I I I wonder what's inside the door. And you began to to ponder and think about. So how can I get a a closer look? The illustration now changes from listening to the advice to now you are halting and desire this type of lifestyle you you want to partake in you want to give your life to this to this sinfulness, but beloved sin doesn't stop there. sin never wants you to keep walking past the store it wants you to come in and shop and he says the golly." Nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You was walking past sin, now you sitting in it. You not just window shopping anymore. You don't open up the door. You don't went in. You don't start shopping. And, and, and what the text is talking about? Not only have you taken a seat, but now you begin to be a spokesperson and a salesman for the very sin you were trying to run from. He talks about scoffers. And those who are complaining, those who are talking about uh, uh, issues and raising them up, now, instead of walking past being a scoffer, you begin scoffing yourself. You're not just a consumer. You done put in your application, and now you work there. You are working for sin. And he's saying that if you are are pursuing godliness, the first way, the common sense way that you pursue godliness is you, you avoid sin. Stop looking for it. Run from it. Flee from it. When you see those uh, certain TV shows or certain people walk, you got to get away. Folks going to look at you like you're crazy. But you say, I'm going to pursue holiness. I'm going to pursue God, though. But look at this type of sin also. This is relational sin. Think about all of your friends. What are they leading you into? Think about The fun that you enjoy, the TV that you watch, what are they leading you into? Think about what you're spending your money on. What is that leading you into? If you are going to pursue holiness, if you're going to pursue a godly life, at some point you're going to have to say, I'm going to stop and I'm not going that way. I've used the illustration before, but it's so relevant in how sin just consumes us. Sin is like the blob. It's, it's, it's like that that scientific experiment that went wrong. It starts small, but as it begins to consume various things, it just continues to grow. You know how sin has worked out in your own life. It started small. It started with just a link. You was just browsing, and and all of a sudden, now you get a link, and you click the link, and the link goes to a page, and now the page opens up to more pages, and now the, the page got your credit card number, and now you are a willing participant who was paying for sin. That's how sin works. It doesn't just stop at the door. It draws you in. And if you are going to pursue holiness and godliness, the psalmist is saying you need to avoid sin. And I said this sin is relational in a sense. A friend of mine recently said we was having a conversation just about life. And he said that famous quote. That means he said, he says, Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Show me who you're around and show me what they love. And I'll tell you who you are. See, we 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 know who we really are by the things that. We bring around us, we care about, but if we're going to pursue godliness, we have to give up some things. And, and, and just face it, beloved, if, if we're going to be godly, we just can't do everything everybody else is doing. If the church is going to be the church, if God's people are going to be God's people, there's some things that we just have to give up. There's some things that we just have to say no to because God's glory is more important than my pleasure. When we walk into sin willingly, God, it's, it's as if God is saying, I, "I didn't save you so you could be like everybody else." I didn't shed my blood so you can hang out with everybody else. I didn't sit on Calvary's cross and give up my life, and just so you can have a good time, I did not leave glory. Take upon myself humanity. Just so you can have a good time. But no, I, I came so I could set you apart. I came that you may be redeemed. I came that you may be set free. So you can be a peculiar people. That's what he's calling us to. He wants us to be a peculiar people set apart. But beloved... The psalmist doesn't just stay in verse one, he goes to verse two, because what he wants us to understand is being godly ain't just about what you don't do. That's that's how we measure holiness. Why? I don't do this. I don't drink. I don't smoke. And and we kind of puff up our own Pharisee in us. But but we do gossip. But don't nobody see that. So we we like to pump ourselves up. And we don't want any, and we want people to think we're more than what we are by what we don't do. But godliness ain't just about what you don't do, it's about what you do. And the psalmist is saying, in order for you to be godly, you must avoid sin, but the godly also pursue God. Verse two, he says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. That's the pursuit of God. The godly love to spend time with God. The godly loves the things of God. Turn with me quickly to Psalm 19. Because this is the type of love he's talking about. Psalm 19, when, when you just love the word of God. When the word of God just radiates in you. Psalm 19, 7 the psalmist, he's talking about the word of God, and he says, the law of the Lord is perfect. What does the word of God do? It revives my soul. He says, the testimony of the Lord is sure. What does the word of God do? It makes the wise, it makes stupid people know something. He said, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. What does the word of God do? It, it makes me know I'm going the right way. I'm not falling into some foolishness. And I can rejoice in that. It says the commandment of the Lord is pure. It ain't dirty. I ain't got to worry about who seen me. I ain't got to worry about what they said because it's pure. And he says, enlightening the eyes, I was dead in my transgression and sin. I was blind. I was lost. But now I see because of the word of God. And the psalmist says the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. I know that I can't get right. But I know somebody who made things right. And when I submit myself to his word and his way, I'm going to be right too. Then he says, this word of God is more to be desired. Are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, your servant is warm and keeping them there is great reward. He delights over the word not a chore. It's not a burden. It's not a task. He loves the word of God. Turn with me to Psalm 37. He loves the word of God and he loves the Lord. Psalm 37 verses 4 and 5. The psalmist simply says this. He says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. Sometimes God ain't acting on our behalf because we ain't, we ain't liking the right stuff. We like all the wrong stuff, and we are wondering why God won't act on our behalf. But he says when he's your delight, when you got a taste for Jesus, when you want to do what he wants you to do, he gives you a delight, and he fills you with these affections that you want to give yourself unto him. And then all of a sudden, when you like what he likes, when you want what he wants, when you love what he loves, he can give you some stuff now. Because your will has aligned itself with his will. And I don't know about you, I don't want to be in my will. My will goes left. God's will goes this way. And when I'm on my own, I mess stuff up. But when your will is aligned with the will of God, he will act. So the psalmist is is saying, that's what I want to delight in. I want to delight in the God who loves me, who cares for me. I want to delight in the God who has my best interest at heart. Have you ever been in a relationship where you know they ain't got your best interest at heart? They just want to use and abuse you. but, But Jesus Christ, he gives up his life that you may live. He got up from the grave that you may have power. And the text says I go to prepare a place for you. He is working on your home. Why can't we delight in Jesus? Delights in the law of the Lord. And what does he say? And he meditates on his law day and night. That simply means all day long. He is He is turning over and thinking on the principles that God has laid out all day. So this, this is not him or her just getting up in the morning, saying a quick prayer, Jesus wept, and walking out the door and living like hell the rest of the day. No, what he is saying is the person who is pursuing godliness gets up, They're reading their word or they go to bed reading their word, but they they take the word of God that they have hidden in their heart and they don't leave it hidden. But as soon as they hit that drama, as soon as they boss walk in, as soon as their car don't start, as soon as their spouse is acting up, they begin to pull out what they've hidden in their heart and begin to flip over mentally. and, And they believe what God has already promised Lord, you are my shepherd. I shall not want things that are really tight this month, dear God. But I know you're going to take care of me. See, but guess what, beloved? If we're going to meditate on God's word, we got to know it, don't we? You can't meditate on something you don't memorize. So I don't care how old you are. If you, if you have made a profession of faith, you got to have some scripture in your heart. You got to have something to hold on to when times get tough. You got to have something to hold on to when you want to give glory and praise to God. See, praise don't come from nowhere. See, sometimes we walk in, we think we got a praise switch. Now, I'm just going to walk in, I'm going to click my switch on, and all of a sudden, I'm going to be happy and shouting. But praise comes when you got a word deep down in your heart, and God brings that word back up to remind you who he is and why you exist. I'm not here for my own glory, but his. We can delight. In his word, because he has our best interests at heart. It's not what you don't do. Stop telling people what you don't do. What do you do? We linger over God's word. So what happens when the person avoids sin and they pursue God through his word? Verse 3. Godliness. 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 And he uses the the symbolism and the metaphor of a tree as a representative of godliness. So what does godliness look like? He says he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. He prospers. When when I'm when I'm thinking about this tree, I think back to a trip we took to Disney to Animal Kingdom. And if you've ever been to Animal Kingdom, they in the center of the park, they have this huge tree. And that, that tree it represents it, it's called the tree of life. It's it's enormous. It is it's like a it's like a, a a skyscraper. And 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 woven into it is the different pictures and symbols of animals, and it just represents that life is it, it has come out of it. And I think about that tree because when, when, when you think about godliness, we have to think about the, the, the strength that comes from godliness. When an individual is avoiding sin and pursuing God, they receive a supernatural strength that manifests itself on the inside and not on the outside. What do I mean? The outside situation may look crazy, but the inside they're stable and they're able to maintain. There's a strength that comes from pursuing godliness. But not only that, when we think about a tree, we think about stability. Something that's not easily toppled. Something that's not easily pushed down. When you are walking in godliness, though the critics may say, though the the, the, the news may say, you're not going to fall over and flounder and fluster because God has produced a stability in your heart because his word is what's keeping you. This tree is strong and it's stable. But when I think about this tree, I think about the the, the, the depths of its roots. Godliness produces a depth of character. I I don't know about you these days, but here in America, things are pretty shallow lately. It's pretty, uh, 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 it's all talk. It's all show. And there's not a lot of depth when it comes to the content of the character of a person. But what God is saying, when you walk in godliness, you don't behave out of just reaction. You behave out of those deep roots that he has, uh, he has put you in. Just because the, the wind may change, just because it may be raining, it may be cold up there, but when you have roots that go deep, and no matter what's going on around you, you're able to stand. This is the tree. But, beloved, one thing I, that the Lord was revealing to me this week about a tree is that if you got the right tree in the right place, it's going to be valuable to those around. This tree can provide shade for those who sit up under it but most so more 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 so this tree provides fruit to those around to take from. see when 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 God produces in you godliness. Now, you don't come in and suck everybody else dry. You begin to be able to give somebody else a blessing sometime. You're not always consuming, but somebody can actually consume what you have and not be food sick. A tree is valuable. It's useful. Even if you cut a tree down, you can use this wood to build a house. This is what godliness looks like. This tree is the individual, this the streams of water. That's the word of God. Fruit in the season, that's righteousness. And the text says, and its leaf does not wither. It's healthy. It's not a scrawny tree. It's not, it's not like the fig tree that Jesus had to curse because it wasn't bearing its fruit in the season. And I went and I looked at that text. When it says fruit in the season, Jesus, he cursed a tree and it wasn't even a season of half figs. And I thought about it, like, Jesus, why would you curse a tree when it doesn't even, it's not supposed to? But what Jesus is saying, uh, you produce when I show up. So when he shows up, it's not producing, so he curses the tree. Beloved, we produce when Jesus shows up. And that's in the season. Well, what season? Whenever Jesus shows up, whenever there's an opportunity to be a blessing. We produce, we give of ourselves. So what happens to this godly person? Verse three simply ends with, with, by saying, "In all that he does, he prospers. He prospers. He does well, and, and not so much from like the material perspective. Like you know, I got I got money in my pocket, I got bank. No, it's the your course of life. It's a good course of life." What you put your hand to will succeed. This reminds me of Joshua 1.8 when he says this book of the law should not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate upon it day and night so that you may do according to all that is written in it so that you will have success. So what? So what, what is the correlation? The correlation is your performance should be dictated by your proximity to God's word. If you stay close to God's word, you will perform how God wants you to perform. If you stay close to God's word, you will begin to prosper wherever you go. When you stay close to God's word, people will see something different about your walk. They will see something different about your talk. They will see something different about your work ethic. So now you can be promoted because before you weren't doing the job, but now you're doing the job because God is producing godliness in you because you're staying close to the word. Beloved, how much time do you spend with God compared to the time you spend with your friends? To the time you spend on Facebook? To the time we spend on Twitter? To the time we spend in front of TV, Snapchat, whatever? If, 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 if Facebook was the standard of godliness, how godly would you be? You'd be like, oh, I'm a saint. I'm a, woo! But, beloved, the standard of holiness is not Facebook, it's God's Word. So we need to get our face in his book in order to grow into uh, the Christian that he wants us to be. Godliness. Godliness. So what about the wicked, though? The ungodly. We see it in the second half of this passage that it doesn't it doesn't end well for the ungodly, for those who are living under their own influence, the influence of sin. And we see here. Verses four through six. Verse four, the wicked are not so. The wicked are not like the tree. They're not like the godly person. He says, but are like shaft that the wind drives away. Beloved, what he's saying right here in just that one verse. And it's a tough saying, but the psalmist cares about God's glory And what he says, he says, the ungodly are rootless and worthless. Look here. He says, the wicked are like chaff. In an agricultural city, they would know that they needed to harvest wheat in order to eat. And as they would harvest the grain, they would bring it into these threshing rooms where they would begin to beat it and to take off the kernels and, and 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 the husks that were around the kernels they they didn't have any use you couldn't do anything with the husk and so it was disposed, of that was the shaft so as the grain the part that was valuable would come out they 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 would they would beat it up and then they would throw it up in the air and the wind would take away everything that was worthless but everything that they desired everything that they wanted would fall to the ground in front of them, and now they can eat of it and partake of it. So what he's comparing uh, the ungodly to he's comparing it to that shaft that gets blown off. Well, don't nobody do anything with shaft. It's, 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 it just flies away. It's, it's rootless. It has no grounding. The ungodly have no grounding. The ungodly live by what everyone else say. The ungodly live by what's popular. The ungodly live by what's the fad, what's what's sweet for today. The ungodly is doing their own thing and it doesn't last. It fades away. See, but more importantly, the ungodly are worthless. They serve no purpose in the kingdom of God. God says, I have created you for my glory and my glory alone. So on that day in judgment, when, when we're asked the question, why, uh, if we were to, uh, to be asked the question, why should I let you in my heaven? If, if there's any other answer besides because of the mercy and grace of King Jesus, and eh, 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 all of our works will be burnt up. It won't last. It, it is worthless. And our life will be shown and exposed that we did not live for God's glory our entire lives. We live for ourselves. And if your life does not bring glory to God in the kingdom it's worthless. That shab shav- is, is, is worthless. Turn with me to Matthew, the third chapter, quickly. Matthew, the third chapter. Jesus is speaking. we we'll start with verse 11. Talking about the baptism of John and talking about his baptism. John John the Baptist is here. He said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who was coming, referring to Jesus, after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Those who are living under the influence of sin will spend an eternity in hell separated from the goodness of God. They will spend an eternity burning up because that's the only use for chaff for, for It's you burn it up. It's temporary, it's unstable. It's useless and unwanted. And beloved, not only do our the godly Worthless and rootless. But verse five shows us that the the ungodly have no safe place. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Hebrews 9, tells us that it's appointed unto man to die once and after that, the judgment. There's a day of judgment where we will have to give an account. If we've been living under the influence of God or if we've been living under the influence of sin. And what he's saying that those found to be living under the influence of sin, that there would be no place for you in heaven. There would be no place for you in the congregation. You would not be able to stand up and say, look what I've done. There's no place for you to stand because the righteousness that we have is as filthy rags. The only righteousness we can stand on is the righteousness that has been given to us through Christ Jesus. We have nothing to show for our lives. And there will be a time where there will be no place for you to stand. The wicked, the ungodly. And beloved, let us not be those Christians who look over at those who are living under the influence of, of sin. With eyes of evil and disdain. But beloved, when we look at those who are living under the influence of sin, we should look at them with pity. We should say, God, have mercy. You are to be pitied because you have no Savior. You are to be pitied because you are rootless. You are to be pitied because you are worthless. And only through Jesus Christ can you have roots and worth. And only through Jesus Christ can you live eternally. But apart from that, you are to be pitied. We, our hearts should break. When we see those who are fine, living, ungodly lives." And beloved, our hearts should break because when we look at the ungodly, we should be reminded just how ungodly we are. When we look at the godly, we should see we're not just that far from the ungodly as well. Because when we look at the standards in this text, the standard is that a person will continually be faithfully always avoiding sin, always pursuing God. And I don't know about you. I, I don't always avoid sin and I don't always pursue God. So when I look at this text, I don't see them in need of a savior. I see myself in need of a savior because on my best day, the text tells me that I'm still a wretched sinner before a holy God. On my best day, I'm still have no touch to Jesus's feet. On my best day, I'm still headed to hell condemned and damned because of my sin on my best day but beloved praise god that the blessed man is not because of what i have accomplished the bible tells us that there was one blessed man and his name is jesus christ and this blessed man he came and lived a life that i could not live and he died the death that i so deserve so when i look upon christ i look upon godliness And the Bible tells me that when I look to Jesus, when I turn from my sin, when I repent and trust in him, that his life now becomes my life. And though I was damned to hell, though I was ungodly and a wretch, though I was going to bust hell wide open because the blessed man, the best man, Jesus, he gave me his life. And now I stand right before a holy and righteous God. Leviticus nineteen two says, Tell all the congregation to be ye holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. In order to stand in the congregation, we have to be holy. But how do you make that which ain't holy, holy? You, you give it a new nature. You, you take what was there and you put something else. And the Bible says that when I trust in Jesus, that the, the righteousness of God is placed upon my account. It's imputated. It's given it unto me a foreign and alien righteousness. I had it. I did not have it when I was born. I did not live to earn it. But Jesus in his grace and in his mercy saw fit to call the people to himself. So I can't take any credit for being godly. I can't tell you what I don't do, and I can't tell you what I do, but I can tell you about a Savior who saw a wretch like me and yanked me out of hell and brought me to his bosom. That's the Jesus we serve who rescued wretches like us. On our best day, we're still ungodly. But because of Christ, we have hope, we have redemption, and we can pursue godliness because of the Holy Spirit that He places within us. That gives us a desire for His Word, that gives us a desire to serve others, to make less of, our, of ourselves and much more of Him for His glory, for His name's sake. Father God, thank you so much for your Word. Thank you so much that you saw a fit to save sinners such as ourselves. And that you gave us the best man, the blessed man, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sin. And Lord, I ask that today you would call someone unto yourself that you will rescue the one who is living under the influence of sin. Lord, I ask right now in the name of Jesus that you will open blind eyes and open deaf ears and soften hard hearts, that the ungodly would recognize that they are headed to hell because of their wickedness. And the Bible says there is no place for them, and that they will perish apart from surrendering to Christ. So, Father God, I ask that you will rescue one today. Lord, I also ask that you would reassure one today, one who is having doubts, one who is having issues, one who has fallen. I ask that you would reach down and pick them up right now. And then in 2018, they would pursue godliness. They would pursue your glory. But, Father, none of this can happen apart from your Holy Spirit. Father, pour out your spirit that we would see Jesus. For your glory, for your name's sake, we do pray. Amen.